ended up taking a photo with Shia, Shia LaBeouf and uh, he was super nice. He was like, oh, they thought you were me. I was like, yeah, it was crazy. And then I told him like, hey, I rolled a J for this occasion. Do you want to smoke? And he was like, oh, maybe, maybe when the cops leave for sure, I'm on probation, but we should wait. And I was ready to do it. But then I said my Instagram handle and all that stuff into the webcam started getting tons of hate. It was really scary. And so I just left. I was like, fuck this. I need to go home. But I almost did. I didn't smoke with him, but I almost did. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Augzoro podcast. And if you're listening to this or seeing this on YouTube, then you are on the public feed. This means you don't have access to the full video versions of the Augzoro podcast, and you aren't getting bonus episodes of my other podcast, The Aux, on topics like Bruce Lee, Bitcoin, the COVID lab leak, and more. In exchange for your hard-earned or inherited money, we take both, no discrimination here, You'll get two bonus episodes per month of The Ox, which ends up being three plus hours of premium podcast content, the full video version of every episode of The Oxoro Podcast, so you don't have to watch a thumbnail on YouTube, subscriber-only solo episodes, raw notes and research, bonus writings, access to all premium archived episodes, and more. Become a premium member today by going to auxoro.supercast.tech so you don't have to hear any more of these annoying-ass pitches now or in the middle of an episode. And trust me, they only get more annoying. Pitches are for bitches. Go to auxoro.supercast.tech today to support quality content from independent creators. Link can also be found in the episode notes. I love you guys. Enjoy the show. What up, what up? This time, I sit down with Sean Malaya. Sean is a filmmaker and a content creator for the digital media brand 137PM. Sean also makes a ton of content under his own name, which you can find at at Sean Malaya across all social media platforms. I first came across Sean when he released a video about his prison pen pal on TikTok. And from there, I took a deep dive into his content. My favorite creation of Sean's in particular is an hour-long video he made with Mark Normand about the art of comedy and writing jokes in real time. This, this is an unbelievable video. You can find it by searching Sean Malaya, Mark Normand, Mark Norman writing jokes. I'll link it in the podcast description. Highly recommend checking this out. It's, it's, it really gives an insight into the mind of a comedic genius like Mark Normand. And Sean does a great job of walking him through the process. And I, I had a really great time watching it. I, I learned a lot. And, and we talked a little bit about that in the podcast. And I hope after listening to this conversation, you go check out Sean's stuff. It's weird. It's dope. It's different. And I'm excited to put this conversation out into the world with a creative mind like his. In this episode, Sean and I get into what it was like writing jokes with Mark Normand, starting a cult and going viral on TikTok, his thoughts on Jake Paul, what it was like exchanging letters with a guy in prison, with his prison pen pal, rolling a joint for Shia LaBeouf. That was a great story. Cool story. And more. 
Without further ado, please enjoy this deep dive with Sean Malaya. All right. Well, Sean, thank you for joining the podcast. I, I appreciate your time. And I figured we could we could just hop right into it. Sure thing. Yeah, no worries. Uh, glad to be here. So you released an entire hour of writing a joke with Mark Normand. And I figured that could be a good place to start. That was the first thing that that sucked me into your YouTube channel, which we'll definitely get into the the content side of things from the the other things you have going on, TikTok and, and stuff like that. For the joke with Mark Norman, writing jokes with Mark Norman, I believe this segment was called, how, how did that happen? What was it like being in the room with a guy like that, who I, I think is a absolute comedy genius and stand up? Sure. And kind of, yeah. How did that, how did that come together? What was it like? Um, so yeah, I really love Mark. I think he's awesome as well. And I noticed like last year I DM'd him something and he just responded and I was like, oh shit. Like he just responds. And I had actually requested for him to like voice uh, something in a cartoon I was doing with my friend. And he, he, he responded to something and then I asked him and then he didn't respond. And then, uh, basically what ended had, Oh, and then I saw he did a vlog or, uh, for YouTube, it was called like park Normand. And basically he was doing jokes in the park because of COVID. And I was like, this is smart, uh, doing vlogs while also doing stand up. Um, I think vlogs are like undervalued for sure. I think like Seinfeld, for example, is like television mixed with stand-up. I was like, there's definitely going to be somebody that should do vlog mixed with stand-up. And I was like, dude, I love your content. And I went to NYU for film. I got a camera. I'd love to help you film something for free. And he was he responded like, within the hour, like, sure thing, Fatty would love to. How about sometime, whenever it was. And so I went, filmed for him edited this whole thing together for free. It took me like a lot, like, you know, I put a lot of work into it and he was like, this is awesome. Like I owe you one. And I was like, okay, sick. And then I waited, I think it was like a few months later, I had this idea yeah. for a podcast where it's like, you make something with somebody that basically they're known for. So in his case, write a joke with Mark Normand. And he was like, sure. I owe you anyway. He came for the hour and we did it. It was pretty sick. He, uh, super nice, never once condescending, answered every question, not at all like, he's a great comedian, but never once like acts like it. He thinks he's shit, I feel like. And it, it was really cool. Yeah. That's how it, stu that's how it happened. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like uh, guys like him in stand-up that actively chose to put content out on YouTube separated themselves to the audience Some, someone like me who is is not a a comedian in any aspect but i i see what's going on i love stand-up comedy and i see guys like mark norman i see tim dylan other guys that are continuously putting out the youtube style skits or like stand up in the park the the sketches and as an audience member i really appreciated the continuation of putting out shit that they thought was funny and, and was funny and is funny. And they were kind of just like 
what else am I going to do? My job is to be funny. So I have to take advantage of, of the situation. Yeah. And he's also got a following and like, I feel like a lot of comedians like get this chip on their shoulder or they're like, or they just assume, I mean, we all do it. I, I did it for sure. Which is like, Oh, I hope that I'm discovered. I hope somebody reaches down and puts me in the spotlight. And it's like, yes, I get that. Um, but you can also make it happen on your own. If you do have the sauce, like just make videos or, or do it on your own and you could kind of build it without anybody else. And so that's kind of what he did and continues to do. And yeah, it's paying off. I think, I think it's pretty sick. And that's the other reason I really like him is like, he's not, he doesn't take himself too seriously, even though he is like one of the more respected comedians and like good at the craft and the mm-hmm. stuff like that. He's still like, ah, well, I'll, I'll make a YouTube video, whatever. I'll make a TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So you said you filmed something for him for free before you actually filmed the writing and joke segment. Yeah, it was, uh, what was that? It, it was like, I just wanted to do a vlog style thing. So he basically, we called it like tweaking jokes. It's on his YouTube tweaking jokes in Jersey. And it's like, mm-hmm. he tries the same joke or a few of the same jokes across different shows. And then I kind of edited it to show how the audience can still like, can receive it differently. And then I film him like off stage and in the green room and stuff, just talking about basically comedy and why it's hard and kind of just picking his brain. And I like interlaced everything like, it was just like, just like a vlog, I guess. And that mixed with stand up. But, uh, yeah. So it was like, it was, it was just that. And, uh, Posted it, did pretty well. I think it hit like maybe 200,000 views or something on his tube. And um, yeah, he was really grateful for it. So it was just like kind of what he was already doing. I just like added one more piece to his little Jenga pile. Was there anything that surprised you during that segment where he was writing a joke with you in real time? Because he was like, yeah, let's fucking do this together let's you know let's come up with jokes and you were an active participant in that process was there anything that jumped out at you something you weren't expected obviously you were you were familiar with his work before that so any, anything that happened that surprised you after that segment where you kind of look back on it and you're like yeah like that was, that was pretty cool um in a selfish way for sure the first thing i could think of is i told him two of my own stand-up bit ideas from the past. And he was like, hey, that's pretty good. And he like was giving me props for it. So walked away feeling pretty good about myself with that. Um, what else? Um, that's got to feel good getting the the thumbs up from a guy like that. Oh, yeah. I was like, damn. I, well, I said in the video, I was like, it's like, Cause I was saying how there's like the Beatles and I was like, I think you could be like the Beatles of comedy. Like you're so good, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh, shut up. You know, that's not, he doesn't think that about himself. And, but then, yeah. So once he complimented me, I was like, Oh my God, look at me. I got the Beatles complimenting me. And he was like, ah, shut up again. Like, so yes, it did yeah. feel good. Um, that's kind of that. That's the first thing my brain goes to. He had good tips and stuff too. Uh, and I thought it was also funny how like he doesn't come up with good ideas right away in his own words, at, at least. So it, it takes a while to evolve things. 
even for him. And so I definitely walked away with that too. I was like, all right, like even a guy like you still comes up with crap and still has to workshop crap and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so how did you get into comedy yourself? Because I, I saw you have a few videos on your channel of doing stand up at NYU. You have the the set at the comedy cellar. What attracted you to just getting in the the ring of stand up at the beginning? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I always wanted to do it. Like ever since I was young, I, I guess I just made people laugh or like my peers laugh all the time. So I knew I wanted to do it. It was something that always like attracted me. And then I loved, uh, in high school, especially I really loved Louis CK and I loved the show Louis. And I was like, damn, I just want to be a stand up. Then. So once I got to school, well, actually I did comedy seller classes a senior year of high school. So that's what the comedy seller mm-hmm. video you saw was was like the my first time doing it and then um so i kind of like when you i got, have the class and then the the video is kind of like the the showcase from the class yeah okay. yep and then uh and it's like your first time getting on stage as well so that was uh it was terrifying but still cool and then yeah, I was. I would. Then I went to NYU the next year, and I I would go to once in a while to do stand up. But it's like you gotta wait. You gotta you gotta be willing to go there. Obviously, wait through other people, pay, either bomb or if you, even if you do good, then it's like. And so I kind of just fell off doing it. I still love it, but it's like I I kind of realized along the way, like maybe this isn't what like as important to me as I thought it was. And so, but that is like, yeah, I got into it just by wanting to do it my whole life. And then I got out of it by realizing, Oh, you know, maybe this isn't the way I'm going to make people laugh. Um, maybe one day I I have it in the back of my head to like, kind of go back to it, but yeah, it's it's not something you could just jump into. Yeah. It it does seem like a, a good experience though, to put yourself through, a stand-up set in in whatever capacity, whether it's 5,000 people or five people in a room trying to make them laugh. Over, uh, I've been listening to a a bunch of comedy podcasts during quarantine, Mark Norman's included. And I think it's a really cool look behind the scenes of funniness being a muscle where it's like you have to go to the gym and work out being funny just like any other skill but when i see the final product in a special that's been polished for maybe two three years maybe 10 years if it's the person's first special and they've been doing it you know since they were 16 17 years old you lose sight of the fact that that person they're not just a funny person they're going through the act of making other people laugh and being funny on a consistent basis on stage, kind of like you would go to a gym and work out. So it it seems like something that would be useful to go through as a human being. Something I've never done. I've never done a stand-up set. Um, I've done public speaking. I've done Toastmasters class, which was kind of the thing I told myself I was going to do last year. I, I said, I need to do something that's public speaking in some capacity, whether it's improv or speech or stand up, And I, I chose Toastmasters because I was a pussy. I was like, that's the least intimidating out of all three. But it, yeah. it, it seems like a good thing to put yourself through, like be on stage and understand some of the aspects that 
come with trying to be funny on cue and like a performance-based style. What's up, guys? I told you there would be an annoying interruption. I told you. And I hope this is an annoyance for your pleasure, you know? I actually hope that this is more of an enjoyance than an annoyance. I hope this is more of an enjoyance than an annoyance. And I'm going to play for you guys a preview of an exclusive episode on Auxoro Premium. And if you'd like, you can go to auxoro.supercast.tech to subscribe for two bonus episodes per month, three plus hours of exclusive content found nowhere else per month on Auxoro Premium. You know, a lot of podcasters that I love, they put out an extra episode a week and I appreciate it. It's hard work. Each of our episodes that we put out is at least an hour and a half. A lot of them run two hours. So in terms of hours of content, yes, we only put out one every couple weeks, twice a month, but we're giving you an hours plus a week of content. So that's how I like to think about it. How, how many hours are you giving your subscribers? So on the low end, it's going to be three. A lot of months, it'll be, you know, three and a half, four. So we got your back. Even if you don't subscribe, I still appreciate you for listening. And if you'd like to show some love for the show, you can leave a rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about the show. This is a way to show some love without hurting the wallet. I I know times are tough. Five bucks a month can be a lot. It is a lot. You get a lot for five bucks a month. You know, Netflix is what, 12? And you got thousands of shows. And so... I know it's a lot. It's a lot. And so if, if, you, if you'd like to support the show, but you don't want to dent that wallet, you can head to the YouTube channel, click subscribe, head to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and comment, whatever you feel it deserves. I used to say, give us five stars, but you know, if it's, if it's four, that's fine. That's okay. Leave a comment. Let us know what we can do better. And like I said, it also, the, the higher, more ratings we have, the higher we appear in searches when people search for things related to the topics we put out, which are very wide and more people will find out about the show. So without further ado, here's a sneak preview of the Auxoro Premium exclusive episode that my brother Matt and I recorded on the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. It was a very bad medical experiment performed on poor black people. Uh, started back in the 1930s. Enjoy the clip. And, and, and I feel guilty telling you to enjoy a clip about a large group of disenfranchised people, a large group of black people that we're taken advantage of. But it's the truth. And we're, we're the truth. We're about the truth on Auxoro Premium. And so enjoy the clip and enjoy the truth. And, and I hope you guys at least check it out. Go to auxor.supercast.tech. Enjoy the clip. If this happened like this day and age, uh, there would just be like so much. There would just be like so much outrage about it. It would be like unbelievable, especially because everyone's so connected now. Um, And with everything going on with like 
the like Black Lives Matter movement and the um, Me Too movement, all these things, if like anything like this came out, like it's like it would never it would never be possible that people would just get away with this. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah. There's a there's a physician involved in the study that said the most important phase of the study was to follow as many patients as possible to post-mortem examination in order to determine the prevalence and the severity of the syphilitic disease process. Once the study was established, the subjects had no more interest for us until they were dead. So there's an actual physician in the study basically saying, our goal is to get to death. We, the autopsy is our main goal. And we're not interested in the subjects until they're cadavers, basically. And th- there's a biomedical ethicist, uh, Susan Lederer, L-E-D-E-R-E-R, that says the purpose of the study was to treat black men as quote-unquote cadavers that have not yet died. So they were basically, they were, they were literally dead men walking to the researchers because they just wanted them to die so they could study the postmortem effects. They weren't even people. They weren't even subjects. They were basically just cadavers that they wanted to get to the autopsy as soon as possible. And it's written in, in the, the notes for the study. Once the study was established, they were, had no more interest for us until they were dead. Thank you guys for listening to the preview. You can pause the podcast right now and go to augzoro.supercast.tech to subscribe to Augzoro Premium. The link is also in the podcast description. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, and it's cool to like get that self-awareness of like, okay, I thought I was, you know, going to crush and then it's like nobody's laughing and stuff like that. And yeah, it definitely is a muscle you work as well. I would notice when I would go more often or even when I did improv classes, like it would be a lot easier to be funny off the cuff. I think it is a muscle in your brain. You kind of work out. Um, and yeah, like it's just, uh, it's for sure like a good life experience. It's just something that most people don't end up doing. And uh, yeah, it, it, it increases your worldview in some ways. So what is Toastmaster? So Toastmasters is... I, I was part of the the Wall Street Toastmasters Club for about a year. So it's it's a it's a club that has meetings all around the world. I'm starting it out. It sounds like AA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is like it is a club for public speeches. And the the main club is called Toastmasters. And so I was part of the Wall Street one and it is a gathering of about my group was 15, 20 people and you go up and you do one of two things when you go there. And so they're planned five to seven minute speeches and you give speeches on different topics each time. So there are a bunch of times where I knew what I was talking about. I would practice, you know, the few weeks going up to it. And then I would give a speech on a certain topic, like an awkward experience from my childhood or something like that. And then there's also mixed into the Toastmasters session, there's improv speeches, one to two minutes off the cuff where you volunteer before you know what the topic is. And so the improv section comes up off the cuff, you raise your hand, someone has topics prepared. It's someone's job to make topics the the week, uh, th- that week for just random shit like what would be your 
what would you want to get done the, the first day in office as president? Like, what would you say if your girlfriend broke up with you right now? Just like dumb shit. And okay. uh, yeah. And then, so you volunteer before you know the topic and then the topic is read to you off an index card and then the the timer starts and you have two minutes to just go. And so you're, it's kind of like you're talking before your brain even knows what's going on. So like, you just have to open your mouth and speak and then your brain catches up and it, it kind of hopefully comes together. There are times where I, I stood there for the first 30 seconds, just thinking. And then I realized I have to just say something, even if it's literally the word something. And so that kind of got me over the fear, not, not over the fear, but it, to work alongside the fear of public speaking. And I, and I knew it would be useful for podcasting and podcasting isn't super public, but I knew it would feed off of that skill in some way. So yeah, that's basically Toastmasters. It, it's a combination of improv speeches, one to two minutes, and then these planned speeches people do every couple months or so, five to seven minutes. That's uh, honestly, it sounds fun though. I mean, that that's cool. The improv, especially, uh, that sounds like it'd be like, oh, great. Like, what am I going to talk? But at the very least, you don't have to be funny. You just have to talk about it. But that's still hard, still very difficult. So it sounds like something I'd want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to bookmark that for later. Toastmasters. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I stopped going a little bit into the pandemic. So April, May last year, cause we were doing it over zoom. And the reason I was doing it was because in person you get that adrenaline rush. And I just didn't, I, I didn't feel that rush over zoom. And so I stopped going but I'm definitely going to start up again once, once things go back to normal. So I, I would, I would recommend it. It's, it's good for stream of consciousness, figuring it the fuck out, getting over that voice in your head that tells you everything you're saying is idiotic right now and no one gives a fuck, which may be true, but you have to say shit anyway for two minutes. So it's like kind of shutting off that voice in your head for two minutes, which was which definitely paid uh, dividends for sure. Yeah. They, I looked into Zoom stand-up and uh, the same, I mean, I didn't do it. I, I signed up and then didn't go once. So I imagine it's like similar. It's like you lose that uh, charm over the internet. Yeah. Z Zoom, Zoom stand-up seems a lot harder because you're, you're looking for a response with with laughter which isn't there and how you're used to getting it normally in person there's that fucking delay and in, in toastmasters i'm not really looking for a response it's more me just trying to get out of my own head and if people think it's not fun like you're not really trying to be funny you're not trying to get a certain response you're just trying to get through the two minutes and so i can't imagine what it's like to go on zoom and try to make people laugh because Zoom is just an unfunny platform in general because yeah. of everything going on with the delay and like, it's we it's weird. I imagine it's weird. Yeah, the one, only one I went to, it was like, everybody please unmute. And then you like hear family in the background and it was like, ah, oh, this this is sad. And then I, I didn't do it again. Yeah. So so one of the the things that, Mark Norman said during the the writing segment you did with him, he said, you start gathering funny thoughts, take those to the lab, and you start going through each one. And you have a, a large following on TikTok. 
you put out videos consistently on YouTube. So for you, what is your lab look like? What what is your creative lab look like when you're coming up with TikTok content, creative content? Um, my lab, I guess uh, uh basically like he said, like you come up with the idea outside the lab. Um so my lab where I bring them back to is usually my room. It's just like or the shower sometimes, but just still in the head, you just kind of know, okay, I want to go with this idea. And then I'll start writing into my notes on my phone or on the computer, like stream of consciousness thoughts about it. And then I start whittling away and I'm like, okay, now here's the video idea. Um, and so that's kind of my lab. It's like in my room or in my head, some anywhere else, just like thinking about this idea. Um, and then, or sometimes it's just like, I'm just going to do it on the fly. Like for TikTok, especially it's like, it doesn't, you could just, you know, shit into TikTok and, and see what happens. So there's a little bit of that in there too. Um, but mostly mainly, yeah, my lab is, is for sure just my room and my notes on my phone. Yeah. So you, you come up with some sort of storyline first do you flesh out the storyline where you're you're writing out the tiktok word for word or is it kind of like you have a general storyline in your head and then you have the tools on tiktok and you're like all right how do i make this work like how do i make this real for people that are watching it yeah i, I so i do the bullet points in my notes and so it'll be like for the chris hansen one for example i don't know if you saw that but it was like i fool my friend or my friend unfollowed yeah. me on Instagram. Uh, so I have a, I bought a cameo from Chris Hansen saying, uh, telling his girlfriend that he's a pedophile. And then I like send a fake, <laughs> I send like that video to her email anonymously. And she breaks up with him. His life's ruined. Everybody unfollows him on Instagram. And then I follow him and he follows me back. And it's like, oh, okay. Like it was this whole petty idea to get this guy to follow you back. So for me, that was... I saw Chris Hansen was on Cameo. I was like, oh, you could kind of ruin somebody's life with this. And then I was like, well, what's a petty reason I could do it, use it? And then I was like, okay, a guy unfollows me. So I basically have that. And then I go through in my notes. I probably even still have it on my phone. And it's literally just like going through the beats. And then I called my friend. I was like, okay, we need a few shots. He comes over. I film what I think I need. And then usually I end up writing it the script later in the video edit because I'm just talking into my voice memo. Mm -hmm. And so I've edited like uh, all the footage together and then I end up just talking what my tentative script was. And then I kind of like uh, workshop it from there. So yeah, here's the Chris Hansen one, May 21st. Oh, it was last year. Um, so it's like today a friend unfollowed me on, from high school. He can't really even see yeah. it. There it is. Oh, there we go. And then, yeah. First, I didn't know how to deal with it. Betrayal, sadness. He loves me no one more than his girlfriend. Then, yeah, it's just like a bunch of ideas, and I kind of just whittled it down into what footage I need, and then edited that. Then do the voice memo like this. Airdrop it to the editing station on my computer, and then boom. Yeah, so that's kind of how I make TikToks, at least. 
Yeah, no, I, I, so I got on TikTok, it's probably about a, a year ago and you were one of the first profiles that I came across where it was like, the, like you weren't making that many videos, but the videos you were making were going viral. And so I had this thing when I first got on TikTok where I had to, I, I thought I had to take things that were happening in my life, like actually happening in real life and then somehow make those go viral. And when I was watching your video, I think th th there was one uh, with your dog making a dating profile, the one with the Chris Hansen, um, other ones that, that, that we'll get into where that was part of what made me realize like, I can just make something up and then yeah. create a story to go along with it and then use video and captions however I want to, as long as I'm not harming anyone, as long as no one's getting hurt, I can come up with a creative story in my head and write it out first. And it does not have to be real. It does not have to actually have happened to me. It just can, just can be a funny situation that is in fantasy land. And I can put that out into the ether on TikTok. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't realize how much of a blockage that was in my head where I'm like trying to come up with content in my own life. Where I'm like looking at a, a light or I'm looking at coffee and I'm like, how do I make this go viral? And you have your imagination there the whole time. And, and for me, at least I took that for granted. Yeah. I kind of think of it like you can, uh, you could just lie to TikTok. Like a part of me thinks it's like all kids on there, even though now there's like hella adults on there. But basically, I'm just like, I'm just going to lie to these kids and it's going to be funny and it's going to make me laugh. So like there's one video, it's not even like it was just like, what's up, guys? I'm from the future. It was like right before Groundhog's Day last year. And I was like, if you cannot let Punxsutawney Phil see his shadow, like the things will be, it'll go like I made it sound like something real bad was going to happen if if the if the groundhog saw a shadow and it went kind of uh, like you're not viral viral it got like three hundred thousand views but like kids were like what's gonna happen oh my god and luckily like he didn't see his shadow so like it kind of worked out in my favor but that's like more straight up lying to them and if you're an adult you can realize okay he's just kidding but so with the storyline stuff it really is just a lie it's like okay i'm gonna tell them a lie and like it's gonna. It's a story, but I guess all stories are kind of lies at the end of the day if they're not like based on a true story. It's just like I'm gonna make some shit up. I'm gonna try and make it sound believable. I'm gonna make it entertaining, and usually that does well. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, like, and then I had I did this video, the wind chime video. My mom put a wind chime up outside. It's right outside my yeah. room, and I like stole it. And a bunch of the comments were like, "Oh, how'd you?" Because the, at the end, like, she realizes I took it because there's a camera on the shed, and everyone's like, how'd you not notice the camera? How'd you not know? And I'm like, it's a joke. You're like at first I'm like, it's a joke. You idiots. Like who cares? And then I'm like, well, no, like if you're at a, if you're in a movie theater and you, even though you know, it's fake, like you're still going to say you didn't see the camera. Like you got to make the story. It's almost has to, it has to be able to work as a lie just as easily or else people get pissed. They're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And so it all comes down to that. Yeah. You got basically, if you could be a good liar, you could be a good storyteller. That's what I, that's what I think. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I definitely agree that being able to just completely abandon the truth has been 
Like I, I, I haven't had uh, a huge amount of videos go viral. I, I managed to build up a following around 230, 235K on TikTok, just like kind of putting out these, just kind of like started as bullshit videos, sending them to my brothers. Like, do you think this is funny? And would put them on TikTok. And then eventually it kind of built into this thing where I was like, I could just make up anything. And, and if it's funny, if I think it's entertaining, I'm going to put it out there. And, and by the way, I hate when people comment like this is a platform for children because I've seen grandmas go viral on TikTok. Like any, like it's such a common thing on TikTok where people say, this is a children's app. Like, what are you doing? You know, or people even choke around. Like I'm 12 years old and I, I'm watching this video. It's probably like a 40 year old guy. Um, but there, there's so many people on TikTok that go viral in every single age group. And TikTok's regulations are definitely stricter than Instagram or YouTube, but the audience feels very similar. I can put out the same thing on TikTok. It'll probably, it might get taken down on TikTok, but YouTube and Instagram will stay up. But the age doesn't feel that different than something I'll put out on YouTube or Instagram. I don't know if you've kind of felt that as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, I haven't really been posting to my own lately. I've been using just the company one and um, the initial comments are usually children because they've kind of built up a following of kids through gaming and stuff. But yeah, once it starts going viral, then it's like, I have no idea. A lot of the times the commenters have no videos or, but uh, for sure there's like all ages on there now. Like when I started like a year and a half or no, a year and like a few, a few months ago, uh, this like coffee barista heard me over, overheard me talking about TikTok. She was like, oh, aren't you a little old for TikTok? And I was like, okay, like, no. But uh, yeah. that was the sentiment. It's still like a lot of people's sentiment, but I, I definitely think it's all, all age groups. I mean, my friends watch TikTok like all the time. So yeah, I think it, it, it might've started as kids, but it's definitely all age groups now. So so you, you've been on a, a TikTok journey that has involved celebrities like Justin Bieber, uh, David Dobrik, Billie Eilish. And there, there's, this, there's a story behind how that came together with, with Purple Teletubbies uh, specifically. So, so how did your TikTok uh, kind of like entrance into breaking the fourth wall in celebrity world, which started with Justin Bieber. Like how, how did that happen? What, 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 what was leading up to that? Um, so the Justin Bieber one was the first one. And that was just me saying, Oh wow. Like you could just type in his password to Twitter and you could, I mean, your, his, uh, his account name to, or anybody's account name for that matter to social media. And you could just guess their password and it'll say, you know, wrong password and so i was just like it made me laugh and i was like damn um and so i went to some there's this company mischief they actually made the little Nas satan shoes and stuff like that and yeah they invited me for a content idea day or whatever where we just kind of come up with ideas and i pitched this idea i was like oh, i thought about it. it'd be funny if we just tried to start a movement where everybody guesses justin bieber's password and they were like uh you know that's kind of funny and then I, they didn't really use it. I was like, well, I think it's funny. So I went home, made that TikTok, mm -hmm. did well. 
And then I made the follow-up because I realized on Instagram, you could mark it as unread a message. So I made it look like he messaged me. That did like 7 million views. And then I when realized- you say you, you made, peop- you made uh, people realize it was unread. How, how are you doing that? Um, oh, like I, you just DM him and then mm-hmm. you, you mark it as unread. If you have a business profile, okay. you can mark it as unread and it looks like he sent it to you. Um, so I did that. And then I realized on Instagram, because actually through Gary V, like a month prior, I was trying to get him to hire me. Actually, I realized it through Alexis Wren, who's like a model. Yeah. Uh, I just, I met her in person. I took a photo with her and I tagged her and I was like, oh shit, I'm at the top of her tagged photos. And then after a little while, it started to go down because everybody else is tagging her. So then I edited the photo, untagged her, tagged her again, and put me back at the top. And in the caption, I like said, oh, we should get sushi sometime. Total Hail Mary pass. Yeah. <laughs> no shot in the world she's going to say yes. And she didn't ever say it. But I still I tagged her, untagged her a few times just in case. Did not work, obviously. And so then, when you say uh, at the top, this is like at the top of her tagged photos. When she goes and sees her yeah. tagged photos, she'll see, she'll go see. So you can appear in someone's tagged photos by untagging and tagging yourself. You'll just go to the most recent. Right, right. So sometimes you'll even notice I'm not the only guy that's realized it. Because if you go to like famous people that like their social medias, like some people's tagged photos it'll say like March or February. It's like, why is this one at the top? They're doing what I'm yeah. doing evidently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so then I made a TikTok just talking about how it was funny that I did that to Billie Eilish. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I, I just remembered. It's like how people like the social media hack stuff. And I remembered this little Instagram hack that I learned through Alexis Wren. So I was like, well, I'm going to just tag Billie Eilish in this old photo of me. And I kept doing it all day, made a TikTok about it. And people were like, Oh, he's still there. He's still doing it. That's funny. But then somebody started helping me and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just like tell people about this now because this is funny. Started helping you just like a, like a stranger that saw it. Yeah. A 13 year old kid. Okay. Yeah. He like screenshotted it. He started tagging and untagging and he did a bunch of photos. And so I started talking about that on TikTok and then it just snowballed organically. And then everybody was helping me. And then I was like, all right, I'll make this like a, a series with a cause or whatever. And again, it's making me laugh because at the time it felt like TikTok was more kids and I'm just like having them do my bidding. So I like, <laughs> I like, uh, was like, Oh, you guys got to do this. And then yeah, it snowballed Billie Eilish fan pages were pissed. And I realized, Oh, she's too proud of her brand to really acknowledge this. I don't know where she would say hello or anything like that. Switched to David Dobrik. And he said, sup after like two videos. And then I was going to stop it there because I was like, I don't want to do like Teletubby stuff forever. I don't want to be the damn Daniel Shoes kid, but in Teletubby form. Yeah. So, and d- just for listeners, you were having, you, you were tagging the uh, a photo of you with a purple Teletubby suit. And that's what was showing up in their most recent men- mentions. And in the the David Dobrik video, he was pulling up his feed and it was just, you know, like dozens of pictures of you in a purple Teletubby suit. <laughs> Um, yep. and that, that was the, the reaction video. Yeah. And he, he like acknowledged it and then it's kind of anxiety inducing. Cause I was like, Oh shit. Like David Dobrik might hate me. Um, 
And then he said, sup. I was like, okay, I'm done with this. And then some, but then all these kids are like, who's next? Who's next? And I was like, oh shit. Like, I don't want to keep doing this. And I was like, all right, well, somebody DM me like, hey, this kid has cancer. He'd love to be on Ellen. Uh, could you help him out somehow? And I was like, all right, this seems like a good third one. Like, doesn't have to be about me. It'll do a good thing for this kid. It'll make his week. And so I did that one. And then Ellen, she didn't invite him to the show like we had hoped, but she tweeted about him. And so in my mind, it might have just been her like, like we got to do something like her producers was like, we got to do something about this kid. Let's tweet like somebody tweeted it for who knows, especially all that shit came out about her later. But it worked. And I was like, sick, like now I'm going to end it there. So Ellen, Ellen tweeted about this kid. Yeah. She said, Eric Erdman, I see what you're doing. And I think it's awesome or or something like that. Okay. And you know, it's not what he wanted. It's not what we wanted, but it was, it was something. Uh, It's it's not like I could strong armor to putting him on the show. Like that'll never work. I mean, you're also going after the top of the top shelf of celebrities and you have a pretty good hit rate and response. You, you've gone after Justin Bieber, uh, David Dobrik, Billie Eilish, Ellen DeGeneres. And so Ellen and David Dobrik responded to you. Like yeah. actually put content out there acknowledging it. That's way better than than most people that try to get celebrities to to respond to them. And, and Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what was cool to me is just like, because they seem like these mysterious forces in the sky. It's like Ellen or David Dobrik or Justin Bieber, like these untouchable, like, oh, wow, I wish I could be them. Like celebrity in general, it just seems like this mythical. And then you like, you know, tag them in some photos and piss them off. And they're like, you know, you could kind of, I mean, it's like being a mosquito, I guess. Like they kind of swat at you and they're not like stoked that you're there, but it made everybody else laugh. And it's like, look, these people are just as real as you and me you know, if you buzz in their ear a little bit, they'll, they'll respond. So, um, yeah, it, it was cool. I, and I wanted to stop it there for sure. I don't want my whole shtick to be pissing off celebrities, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're out there. Yeah, they're that, real I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good podcast right there. Pissing off celebrities. And you have a, a different one every week that you've pissed off to kind of recap how you broke the fourth wall into their celebrity life. And then you have a, have a conversation with them and, and then, uh, then your friends and you're expanding your network. You're, 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 uh, pissing celebrities off and, uh, making more money at the same time. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's like, yeah, there's lucrative ways to take it. I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And then I, I got a job and shit like that. And so like I started doing less TikTok or then and then I got a big following too. And so w- once I had the big following, I'm like, ah, uh, like it's harder to experiment with videos. Like, because, you know, one time I'm just like doing camera to the face, like, oh, let's see what makes me laugh today, post and see how it does. But it's harder to do that when there's like, you know, guaranteed 5,000, 10,000 views. It's like, ah, oh, shit, like I don't want them to all you know, see me flop. So like, that's the one thing with stand up. It's like, you go to a room of 10 people try a joke and it fails. It's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But with the internet comedy, it's like, oh, okay, well, how do you experiment beyond just sending it to your friends? Um, when you have a following, it's like, uh, unless you make a new TikTok, like you kind of lose that freedom. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to get into that because I, so, so my, my main, I guess, if you want to call it what, uh, whatever it is, creative compounding advantage or creative skill that I'm trying to build up is podcasting and TikTok was a cool outlet to kind of get away from that and make these short form videos and, and see how people react to it. But I definitely felt uh, once you have a few things go viral, my thought process went from, okay, what do I think is good or what do I think is funny or what do, what do I want to make today to, okay, what is going to be viral? Like what's going to go viral again? And I found myself on TikTok doing the same series or same topic, maybe 15 or 20 times because the algorithm just like, like it rewards you for putting out slightly different variations of the same thing in a, within a trend. And so I would be putting out videos that I knew would do well simply because it was about a certain topic, but I didn't feel fulfilled about making that type of video anymore. But I knew like, this is guaranteed like 20, 30 K views. So I'm like, I'm just going to make a video about this and do it slightly different from the last one. And so for you, I wanted to ask you, how do you navigate that force of virality where you want to make something and you also have the knowledge of this will go viral. I know this is kind of like a guaranteed viral idea. So basically like this is what I want to make and this is what I know will get views. How do you kind of navigate that that force when you're creating content? Um, I try not to think like that anymore. I, I, I mean, I have in the past for sure, but um, I kind of just... Like I doubt, like I won't, I'm not the type to do it again, like one thing twice if I don't want to, even if I think it'll do numbers, I'm just like, ah, no way. Like I, so uh, for me, it's like basically like I, I kind of just sit and think and I'm like, oh, what would make me laugh? What about, and so that's kind of how I make videos. Like, I'm just like, what would make me laugh what do i want to make today i kind of just daydream really and then when i find something i like it's like fishing almost kind of just like throw your 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 cast out there and then you wait for a bite you're just waiting for that idea and you and then i kind of run with one i don't really think in terms of like what will go viral how what what should i do to go viral like i used to for sure i've definitely done that but i find that it doesn't work or or even if it does, it doesn't really feel great. Or you think you you think you got something that'll go viral. You post it, it bombs, and then the next day you feel depressed and you're like, "I'm a piece of shit." Mm. And so I try not to think in those terms. I'm more just like, "What's going to make me laugh? What am I going to enjoy making?" And that's kind of how I've been approaching it. So you kind of you. You, when you say daydream, do you walk outside? Do you kind of sit there in your bed? Like what, what's your, what do you do when you're kind of thinking those, thinking of those ideas and letting it marinate before you go to the drawing board and try to 
make it work on on uh, TikTok or YouTube wherever you're going to post it? Um, there's a few places. So cutting the lawn, I've come up with a few ideas, just playing music and, and thinking about whatever. Uh, laying in bed when you're not tired, putting the phone on the other side of the room and just thinking also another great way. The only problem with that is I'll come up with a great idea and then it'll be, I'll be half asleep by the time I reach it. And then if mm-hmm. you don't get it written down, you'll forget it by the morning. Um, driving sometimes. Um, and then in conversation with friends, you might think of something or just think of something funny and it'll, so you got to write it down. Uh, but yeah, as far as daydreaming goes, like, yeah, car ride, oh, shower, shower as well. I'll come up with ideas that'll make me laugh. Um, shower is a great place to come up with ideas. It's just tough of, uh, figuring out whether the idea is worth hopping out of the shower and typing in your notes and, and drying off completely or drying off your hands and then hopping back in. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's, it's weird. The, some of the best ideas that I'll come up with when, when I try to get in idea mode, when I'm sitting at my laptop and I'm like, all right, like let's, you know, let's come up with some ideas. If there's some sort of screen or anything in front of my face, it's kind of like I shut off from that. It's, it's good for recording, but it's terrible for actually cultivating ideas. And it's like when I'm going for a walk outside without my phone or I'm listening to a song or a mid conversation with someone and they say a phrase and like, Oh my God, like I need to, you know, record a podcast about this or make a video about this, whatever. It's like always the times where you're disconnected from technology that these ideas flow into your brain. Yeah, I I would agree. Like, um, yeah, you got to let yourself be bored and like the phone, I, if you're just cycling through social media, which I do a lot, like you don't, if you won't, you're just numbing your brain. You won't get those like extra deep thoughts. Um, very rarely, like one time I was watching a YouTube video and the ad for it was masterclass. And I just thought of like a spoof for it. Didn't even do well. Like it was before TikTok or anything like that, but it made everybody I know like around me was like, oh, this is funny as hell. I love yeah. this. And so. What was know, the idea for uh, masterclass? Uh, it was like basically. Um, master class like it was a construction worker and he was just a math and so like the tagline was like not all masters are famous because all the master class commercials are like you know kira knightley walking through a room acting all serious and it's all these famous people and so it just yeah. made me laugh like what if there was a master at some lame job so um so yeah i made that and that that was like one time where the the phone and shit like mm actually brought me an idea but yeah most of the time it's like just distracting and and kind of like numbing boredom and it's it's addicting as hell but it's not it's not sorry i keep burping here uh no no it's a, it's, a, it's all good it's it's adding <laughs> to the uh to the to the asmr Nice. This is actually an ASMR podcast, so I'm only going to release the burps. The, the conversation is, is just to get to the to the, the bodily releases. Nice. That's the meat of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So basically, I try and turn that shit off because, like, it doesn't it doesn't help. Like you said, and then I at school, I remember we had a guy come in to talk about 
writing scripts and stuff. And he was like saying how he uses a typewriter still because like it doesn't, you know, notify you of something else you could be doing. Um, cause like, I guess when he types on a computer, he gets distracted easily. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's downfalls to it all. There's perks and stuff to pros and cons to everything. So 10 years from now, what's your goal with kind of how you're set up creatively? Because you're interested in comedy. I know you also put out videos that are music, playing the piano, stuff like that. And you're also, you also you make sketches as well. So what, what what would be 10 years from now where you see yourself? Like, is it kind of Cody Co style or is it? you know, kind of making the, the short form videos for other companies. What do you, what do you envision yourself as doing 10 years from now? Damn. I, I don't know. I have no idea really. Like I, I, I've, I've been trying to build a YouTube slash Instagram following just to leverage myself like a platform to kind of do whatever I want. Um, but I think like, uh, I don't know. It's weird. Like four years ago or four and a half years ago, I started playing piano and kind of like more and more recently, like I'm like, damn, like I kind of want to make a living doing music stuff. Like not that, like I'll still always want to be funny and shit like that and make, maybe make TV shows or a TV show or a movie of some kind for sure. Cause like, that's what I've always wanted to make movies and direct and stuff. But I don't know lately, like I find myself, thinking more about like uh like john lennon like i forget what they're called like the lost years or something or basically just lived at home with yoko Mm -hmm. played piano made music and didn't really talk to the outside world like i still i'll still want to you know have a platform and maybe make videos about music and being a funny guy and off the cuff and stuff like that but i think at one point i would like to just put all my time and effort into music and see if I can make anything good. I don't know if I can. I feel in my bones that I could make something really good. I don't know why something tells me I could do it, but, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll try and flop tremendously and and have to go back to YouTube slash comedy stuff, which I'm fine with. That's still what I want to do. I just Mm. basically, uh, the, 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 the uh, spark notes of what I'm saying is I want to do a lot. I have no idea. And I'm kind of just going to keep riding this wave and see where it takes me. So you feel, you feel a pull of making your main thing music, like what you're known for music versus what you've been tremendously good at now, which is doing the, the TikTok short form comedy you you still feel pulled towards music being your main thing? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Like, that's why, like you said, Cody Ko, like, he's still, like, a guy that just talks about stuff and people love him and he's funny. But, yeah, if I could build a platform like that to leverage it into music and do a little of both. Like, okay, that's why I like Childish Gambino. Like, he was on a TV show. He wrote for it. He did stand up. But then he comes out with rap first and then, you know, then he does this other album and it's like just beautiful music. And I'm like, damn, like that's cool to me because, and that's why I like Jake Paul. Like I don't like Jake Paul because why everybody else does. And he's a tool, but 
I actually like what he's doing because it's just proves, do, do you like, think he's uh do you think he is act like if you spent a day with Jake Paul, do you think he you would come away with thinking that he was a tool or do you think he has this manufactured persona where he basically saw Logan as the likable brother celebrity. And he was like, all right, I'm not going to be Logan Paul. I need everyone to fucking hate me. So I'm going to, you know, put out this tool bag persona online. Um, it's hard to say. Like, I think that I've seen him in podcast. He seems like he might be a likable person. Like I, I understand the, he's a marketing genius. Like he's pissing people off. That makes people and that, that, that sells him more, but I think you got to have elements of that in your personality already to play it so successfully. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think it's a little bit of self-consciousness. Like people have hated him for a long time, even though he's had fans, like he's got a chip on his shoulder. Like I think he's going to become a lot more likable as he starts winning more and more fights. I think he's going to become humble. I think people are going to take him more serious or he's going to get knocked out and that'll be the end. Well, it won't be the end of it because again, so my point really was that, He's proving that you can be a YouTuber. You can have the TikTok Vine YouTube brand that people give you, the Scarlet Letter or whatever. And if you put, if you want to do something else, you can. You know, like Bo Burnham mm-hmm. put out some music, comedy stuff on YouTube, and now he's like a really respected comedian filmmaker. So basically, that's like kind of where I see myself going is just building this following, building, building, and then hopefully eventually you want to fight Jake Paul. That's where this yeah, is, literally. is going. Yeah. I will honestly I would do it just to get the bag and then and then kind of go do the music stuff by myself. And but no, like yeah. Basically leverage a platform of some kind and then kind of give myself the freedom to do whatever I think. Yeah. No the uh the Jake Paul situation is interesting because people I, I've, I've paid, I've kind of have like a general sense of what he's been putting out. And I saw the highlights of the fight. I haven't been following it too deeply, but I, I do see some of the responses that MMA fighters have been saying where he's not fighting anyone real or he's, he's not, you know, he's not getting in the ring with a boxer. He's doing boxing. So he should get in the ring with someone who actually specializes in boxing. And I don't think he gives a shit. I, I, I think he kind of like what you're saying. He has that persona. He wants to build as much hype behind a fight as he possibly can. And he wants to fight somebody that he believes he has a chance of beating, which is not someone who has boxed for 10 years of their life. It's someone who has boxed but doesn't specialize in boxing. And and I think he realizes his name will generate, according to him, millions of pay-per-view buys. And he just wants to... I make the biggest fight as possible. I think I think he's he's after it for the 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 size of the fight, not necessarily the quality of it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think well, it's also like when you start out getting pro fights in boxing, like yes, you box somebody that boxes, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm gonna be if I'm three and oh as a pro boxer, I'm gonna fight somebody that's, you know, three fights or four fights. As you start to get mm-hmm. into ten fight 
fighters, like it doesn't make sense. It's like, no, well, even though you're a pro fighter, you do kind of, you know, you don't jump in at the deep end. You kind of walk in to the low end and then you kind of, you know, and that's everybody. I don't think that's just Jake Paul. I think people, he's the only boxer that's just getting like, he's the only boxer that people care about with his first pro fights because he's so loud. Um, and you know, he shoots himself in the foot by like calling out McGregor and all these top guys and then fighting somebody like Ben Askren, but Mm -hmm. it makes money. And yeah, I think, I think if he's really training with the best guys and actually working super hard, like if he has raw, uh, athletic ability and potential, like there's no reason he can't prove everybody wrong and actually be a sick boxer. Um, the question is, is he putting in the work he says he is, is he, you know, and does he have the innate, like, that's the other thing too. Like if you take somebody like Floyd Mayweather and then you take somebody like Jake Paul, let's say you take Floyd. I mean, he he probably started boxing at the age of like five. So it's hard to set, like to use this example, but let's let's just say for our sake of argument, Floyd started boxing at 20 and Jake started boxing at 20. If you got those two guys to fight, who's got the raw ability to beat beat who up? You know what I mean? Like Floyd Mayweather mm-hmm. is great. I'm not going to discredit him in, in any way, but there was a time I'm assuming when he wasn't great. He just had some innate uh, athletic ability, and so yeah. I when guess he I, was three, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So my question is, whose innate athletic ability is better? Does Jake Paul have some great innate athletic yeah. ability? Like, is there if everybody in the world started boxing i don't think floyd mayweather would be the best boxer because there's you know seven billion people on earth there's you might be a great boxer you just have no you've never tried it you might be the best yeah your innate ability yeah this is this is where i would push back a little bit i would say that jake paul called out conor mcgregor knowing that he damn well would not take the fight yeah. And then he kind of used the McGregor call out as bait for less skilled fighters like Ben Askren to tweet at him or reach out to him and say, hey, I'll take the fight if Conor McGregor is not going to bite. So I don't know if he was planning on, you know, if Conor McGregor just surprisingly turned around and was like, yeah, let's let's fight two months from now, if that was his plan or it kind of worked out in uh like I don't know if he was calculating using Conor McGregor's bait to get someone like Ben Askren, and now he he has other fights lined up, or he was actually wanting to fight Conor McGregor. I have no idea, but yeah, ha- having hindsight, having the benefit of being able to look back on it, it seems like a strategic move. It's strate- yeah, it seems like something strategic where he was calling out Conor McGregor using the clout of McGregor kind of piggybacking off that in the MMA world and then grabbing the attention of other fighters who weren't necessarily boxers were respected in their craft but he knew like all right I I have a chance against this guy and he took Ben Askren and he's probably going to take on other guys like that as well. Yeah. No, that's I, I totally agree. And if he was strategic in that way, which it does make sense when you put it like that, like then I'm like, well, all right, well, he's a pretty smart dude. Unless somebody behind the scenes was like, this is what you should do. But uh, yeah, I mean, either way, he's going to walk away a winner because he's going to be rich as hell. And I think, I don't know. I think 
because I'm even seeing it like as, as he starts trolling, like people like that. Like he's he's like doing a good job of pissing people off. But they start to even people are like, I'll see them tweet like, oh, I don't like this guy, but he knows what he's doing. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. like he's creating a little bit of a show. He's like he li- he's like McGregor in the sense that he knows what people want to see. Um, But, you know, it gets a little cringy when he like does like, I don't know, has Ben Askren like the. uh the what is that called the press conference i mean mm-hmm. he was very he was he was cringy as hell and that he, but. he was he yeah he was cringy he was stiff in the press conference ben Askren he was kind of just doing fun with it yes yeah, it, it was like uh yeah it's it just like it didn't seem like he was he wasn't even looking ben Askren in the eye that's what i noticed like ben Askren was looking over at him and jake paul is kind of like talking at the mic aggressively but not actually looking at ben Askren. i feel like he could have had more fun with it if he went into that press conference thinking okay like how can i make this more enjoyable for me rather than just trying to come off as the villain and talking shit like how can i have fun with this right. press conference yeah and like yeah, like, and also, like I was going to say, too, like, he just seemed inauthentic. Like, he's trying to be McGregor or he's trying to do what the fighters do. And, you know, even if he is the best fighter in the world based on the training he's been getting, like, there's still some experience to be had in in shit talk and in in press conference and stuff like that. And all that stuff just seemed like he was trying to be McGregor. But even then, you could argue it's strategic. Maybe he's like trying to piss us off by being a, a poor store bought version of McGregor. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not going to give him that much credit. But um, yeah, it's just inauthenticity. And that's what everybody loved about Ben. He even said it. He's like, I just speak my mind and I'm just like, I don't try and put on a show. I'm just myself. And people really like that, especially in contrast with Jake. So I think as he wins more fights, if he wins more fights, he will become a lot more likable to people and a lot more authentic. Mm. Yeah. So when I when I first saw you on TikTok, I thought this guy's just in it to get into the TikTok fight game. So if you were to fight another TikToker, say one year from now, you had a bag where you could practice music for the next 10 years and it didn't matter how much money you make. Like you were just set for a decade but you had to pick someone to fight on TikTok. They wouldn't call you out. You had to call them out. Mm. Who would you call out right now that has some clout on TikTok? With the, it would be like the first TikTok. Like people talk about like Jake Paul's a YouTuber. The first TikToker fight. Um, There actually is going to be a TikTok fight coming up with Bryce Hall. Really? But yes. Okay. But I will still entertain this question damn i don't know there's nobody i don't like uh who is bryce hall fighting by the way uh i don't even know to be honest with you um i know that like i inter- i talked with rylan storms he's on the card he's fighting tanner okay. fox but okay. if, I, if i had to fight anybody on tiktok hmm, this is a tough question i don't know uh Maybe uh, somebody I wouldn't beat, so I wouldn't feel bad. Maybe Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but he's not a TikToker. He just has TikTok. That would be a uh, 
I, I would definitely tune into the press conference for that. Dude, he's so nice <laughs> though. Like I would another guy, even though he could beat me up. Wouldn't want to. I mean, I, I feel like he can get mean when he has to, though. I, I've seen those videos where him and Kevin Hart go at it, where they're trying to insult each other. They they can get they can get pretty cold. Maybe maybe him, maybe him. Uh, he's Dwayne not a Rock. TikToker, but he's the Dwayne only the guy. Rock Johnson. Yeah, he's the only guy I could say and not feel bad if he saw this. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you guys, you know. Let let's say uh, let's say it's a good, let's say it's a good fight. Let's say you go it's a six round fight. You go four rounds with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and he he wears you out. He wears you out. He has he has you against the ropes. And uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Let's say he ends up winning the fight uh, miraculously. Most you know every expert predicted that Sean Malay would win the fight, and somehow Dwayne the Rock Johnson pulled it out. I definitely see a follow-up movie, like a buddy cop movie with you and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, possibly Kevin Hart playing like a very small supporting role, just like one appearance, kind of like... Uh, uh, Damn, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I mean, that I could see... And, and then you'd get the bag off the fight and the movie, and then bam, you just, you can go off and make music for 10 years, and then you reappear in kind of your older stage, wherever you want to take it. You have, you have music, you have comedy, you have movies, just whatever direction you want to go. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be, that would be sick. And then you risk, uh, I don't know, once you got all the money in the world, like you risk, uh, I, I would like to maintain the drive though, the hunger, as they say. Uh, and so hopefully the bag doesn't do that to me whenever I, I get that bag, wh- whatever the outlet will be. There's a Shakespeare quote from Hamlet. It was like, uh, what is a man, if it's like chief good and market of his time, be to sleep and feed? Basically, it's like if all you do is sleep and eat, you're nothing but a beast. So like, and then it's it says something to the extent of like, God didn't give you the ability to do all this crazy stuff, to not use it. And so basically what I'm trying to say is I hope that bag doesn't make me lose sight of uh, the godlike reason and ability that Shakespeare was talking about in Hamlet. So we'll see. We'll see. But I just need to get that back first to find out. I'm happy to find out myself. You know what I mean? I don't need somebody to tell me. I, I, I do want to get the bag to find out firsthand. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't see it changing you because you've done a lot of work for like before the bag to prove that you are worthy of the bag. So I expect that 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 continues. Like you, you you haven't, you haven't been gifted with the bag. It's you, you've definitely put in the work before it. I mean, I was, people say, or or not people, but two chains said it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. So when that bag is handed to you, and people are like, "Oh, where did Sean Malay come from? He just came out of nowhere." You'll you'll have that work where you're just like, I, "I'm this this is me now." So yeah. I have the bag, but I still want to do it. And my I don't know why it made me think of this, but like my friend does music and he's like doesn't want to post TikToks. He's like trying to preserve his image. And I'm like, dude, nobody knows who you are yet. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, 
I, I don't know, like, because part of me is like, oh, like, what if I build all this following with TikTok and these silly jokes and shit like that? I'm like, ah, oh, well, you could kind of change your people's perception of you pretty easily. Like, there's this, I forget the artist. Is it not JoJo? Uh, hold on, like, give me reasons. Yeah. We should be. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of music artists where I've been introduced to their songs through a TikTok that they made that had nothing to do with their music. Exactly. And, like, this is a bad example because I was listening to Two Feet before TikTok, but he he's someone that has gone viral on TikTok multiple times. And I imagine that there are thousands of people that discovered Two Feet through TikTok. And he's even said that this platform is more, more his personality. He didn't really vibe with Instagram and short form videos came along and he was like, this is this is something I could do. And so it's funny how some of the people that are most protective over their image are people that aren't in the public spotlight yet. And when you're, when you don't have that many followers, it's like an opportunity for you to just experiment and see what sticks with your own creative ideas. Right. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like that I should take a, a page for my own playbook with that. Cause I'm like afraid to post. It's like, nah, like you'll be fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say like somebody like Billie Eilish, it seems like they kind of cater a little too much to like they want her to seem like some godlike figure where mm. like they're like so careful with her branding and stuff. And it's like, wow, she's so deep and she's a philosopher. And it's like, and I, I think she's cool. And, you know, some of her music's cool, but it's like uh, it just and I, my friend would be the first to say it. He'd probably be pissed that I'm saying this because I used to disagree with him, but I almost agree with him more now. It's like, it just comes off as inauthentic to me. I'm like, okay, like, and I would say like, like there's like a Christopher Nolan movie or, or just movies in general. Or like I said in the beginning, you know, you lie, you lie to make good stories. And maybe Billie Eilish is lying to us with her branding and it's making this cool character and it makes her music feel a certain kind of way. And, and I'd appreciate that. I think that's cool. But basically, sometimes it comes across to me as overcalculated. And yeah, it's like how cool can you be at 19 years old? We're we're all, you know, like awkward fucks trying to figure out the world and sometimes I do get that feeling where not just Billie Eilish but sometimes the the media tries to paint younger stars in general as like these wise sages and in the back of my mind I'm like I know what I was thinking at 19 years old, 18 years old, 17 years old like yeah, and this person is just it, it's like you can't, you're not supposed to be like that when you're 19. You're supposed to be dumb. You're supposed to be stupid. You're supposed to make mistakes. You're supposed to be throwing shit. Again. Like, like she's, she's a weird anomaly. She's reached a level of fame and notoriety so early in her life that almost no one in human history has reached. And it's like, this like this public persona is her i'm like that like that's that's just her persona like i'm I'm sure she's yeah dumb shit like any 19 year old does the only yeah I, I would agree like yeah the persona and it's cool like if you can craft a cool persona and people like it like you know power to you the only thing sometimes like and a lot of artists do this in music today is like kind of and maybe, I mean, I guess this is a universal music thing, so I can't really rag on Billy, but it's like the I'm depressed kind of music. 
I'm thinking about killing myself kind of music. And it comes across sometimes as like inauthentic a B it's like, I, I don't know. It's like, sometimes it makes you feel like, Oh, to be a good rapper or to be a good musician, what you got to be depressed. You're going to want to die. Like, I, I, I don't know. That's, that's what it sometimes feels like they're feeding us with some of these, these songs. But at the same time, like I could kind of go back and be like, well, you know, I love the Beatles and there's like plenty of, songs where john lennon talks about wanting to die and shit so maybe maybe i'm just being hypocritical um but again it depends you know is it inauthentic is she just saying that because she's like scripting it and it's like she thinks that sells or she thinks it makes the art better i don't know yeah i mean there definitely is that trope as an artist where pain equals content it's like sometimes i'm like is is this person putting themselves through pain because they believe that this is the only way to come up with anything creative there's not a lot of examples of pain coming from or there's not a lot of examples of content that does well coming from someone being in a super healthy place Right. A, a lot of times the spotlight goes on this person, you know, has been through super unhealthy relationships. They've had a drug problem. They've had mental issues. They've had both, whatever. And this person puts out very good content, whether it's uh, on YouTube or, or music or whatever. So, so I definitely get that. I would um, say like conflict. I mean, at the very least, conflict does make interesting stories. So like, yes, like pain and stuff like it's for sure makes art good like that's the art with pain is definitely great i just like you said i'd hate to see a world where people coming up that have a a great creative ability and a great home life i don't want to like you said see them be like oh well i gotta get addicted to drugs to be a good artist it's like no 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 like yes some great artists fell down that path and maybe it amplified their music or or it's a big part of their art but yeah, I just don't want to see people think, oh, that's like a necessary because like I said, like at the beginning, like the Justin Bieber, the celebrity stuff, they feel mysterious and out of this world. That's why I wanted to tag them in those photos and get them to respond. They feel so removed from our society. They're like some godlike figures. And then so then that's why people are like, oh, like, how do I become one of them? Like, it feels like this Illuminati. I got to sign my soul away kind of thing. Maybe if I do drugs or get depressed or or maybe I'm supposed to be you know, and d- does music ha- or art or these people, do they have the ability to make people change their outlook that easily? I, I-, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just being a, a geezer. Uh, but it's something to think about. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to put it. Don't, don't prolong your pain more than you have to for the sake of art. Use the pain that you've been through to create great things, but don't artificially extend that period of pain because you think somehow that the only way to create good art is to be in a state of painful experience. Right. Like I'm pretty sure, I don't know if this is a show episode or if it's not, I better write it down, but I'm pretty sure it's been done. It's like somebody wants to make good art. So they break up with their girlfriend. Like, so they'll be sad. It's like, no, no, don't do that. Like if you got to do that, then don't, I I don't know. I mean, artists in history are weird. Van Gogh cut off his own ear. So I'm not going to pretend like I know what, <laughs> should or shouldn't be done but i guess just like that's what I, I i hope that 
people don't think you need to be depressed to make good music or or that you got to pretend to be depressed to make your music interesting. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that I wanted to make sure I got into with you is prison pen pals. Hell yeah. And so so I know I know you've had pen pals that are in prison and I haven't had a actual pen pal since like second or third grade. So I saw the videos you put on YouTube and I was like, fuck yeah, like writing letters. Um, it seems like really cool, especially since prisoners are notoriously outcasts in society, afterthoughts, me included. And like, I'm not thinking about people in prison on a daily basis, even though, you know, close to 1% of the population is in prison, which is nuts. So how did prison pen pals come into your life? Like, how did you link up with these guys and kind of what was the story behind that? Yeah, I found that website like in high school. I wrote a short story about it and uh, got me into college. That's short story. And so I was like, and then I was sitting in my room last year, probably around this time. And I was like, huh, like, don't got any TikTok ideas. Thought about that prisoner thing, that website. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to write a prisoner and kind of document it. In hindsight, kind of a risky move. You don't know who you're writing. But I did, you know, I looked through and I was like, it seemed like a cool guy. Uh, wrote to him, documented it. And he was like super nice, super excited by the letter and the TikTok stuff. And basically, we've been writing since. I, I have to write him back this weekend. But uh, yeah, I just like, I kind of like treated it like a mini documentary on TikTok. And that's kind of how I got into it. I was like, and, and then, you know, uh, it's cool because a lot of people hit me up like, oh, I'm, I've been writing prisoners. Like, I think I brought a lot of people to that website. And that's what's the name of the website again? Writeaprisoner.org. Writeaprisoner.org. Yeah. And so it, it seemed pretty much to be win win all around. And, uh, yeah, I have a friend out of it now that's definitely uh, a very unique person and lives a life that I don't understand and hopefully won't ever understand. I, I don't really have any reason to believe I would. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and so that's kind of how that came about. Yeah, and now you guys are fighting in a boxing match a couple yeah. months from now. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it might be a few years from now. We got to wait. Yeah, a few, yeah. No, but... but um. On a on a serious note, what what are what are some of the biggest takeaways you had going back and forth uh, with a guy? I know you said on YouTube he's been in solitary confinement for a couple of decades, been in prison since he was super young. What are some of the biggest takeaways you've had going back and forth with a guy through letters that's basically lived, you know, close to his entire life in in prison? Um, I mean, that basically it is a lonely place in there. A, B, he is like super grateful for any connections outside of prison. Like any, if I take a month to write him back, like, cause I was busy, he's like, still like, dude, don't worry about it. We're here for you. Just, uh, that my takeaways. Yeah. It's just like, it's a whole other world to be grateful for what you have to, you know, 
and to kind of uh, also not be like, I don't know. It's like the celebrity thing again, going back to the godlike figures in the sky. Like they're just people like us. The prisoner, the prisoners are just people like us as well. You know, they're not some other kind of person just because they committed a crime at one point. You know, it's not to say there's not people in there that, you know, you might not want to mess around with because they're, you know, wired a little differently. But on the grand scale, they're just people like us that fucked up at some point and are super grateful to have any sort of connection on the outside. So, mm-hmm. um, and that sometimes it seems, you know, that the uh, prison system might be a little messed up in some ways. Uh, just in their treatment. I mean, I don't know, like mm-hmm. he, he was in a COVID unit or something and they kind of was, according to him, were neglecting him a little bit and to be in solitary confinement for so long. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what somebody does to ever deserve that, but there's definitely like, it's just a world that I'm like, don't understand and don't, don't know how often is uh, morally right, but it's mm-hmm. uh it's definitely brought some philosophical questions up in my life so that's kind of the takeaway for sure among other things yeah i think there definitely is something to writing letters too i i remember uh you know early on during the pandemic this is you know about a year ago i i put a post out there on instagram where i was just like if, if someone wants a letter i'm down to write a letter i have you know i i was kind of feeling that it was just a month in and i was already feeling that lack of connection to people and i got way more responses than i received over dm where i said you know dm me your address and i'll send you a letter even if i you're a complete stranger I'll look at your profile and I'll pick out something and I'll write something about it. And I ended up having, you know, probably 15 people, five, six of those people, strangers, just DM me and being like, Hey, I'll take a letter. Just, you know, I know we don't know each other. And so there, there is something to sitting down and writing that kind of connects you to that person and then receiving something back in a handwritten format. They wrote back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Almost, almost every person wrote back. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, I mean, uh, it 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 definitely feels a little more personal, and you know, you can't you can't just do it in ten seconds and forget about it. You got to really sit down and write it. So, um, it, it's uh it gives you a taste of uh, the old days for sure. So, it's an experience I recommend. Yeah. So th- this is a this is a complete shot in the dark. So you listed your favorite song in your fifth grade yearbook as "Pretty Handsome Awkward" by The Used, which is a savage favorite song for a fifth grader. Dude, I don't even remember. I'm sure if I hear it, I'll get a nostalgia blast. But uh, oh, you will. Yeah, go 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 ahead, pull it up. Um. So so one of the lyrics from pretty handsome awkward is you bleed just like you puke while running a mile so i wanted to ask you do you have that's crazy puke, do you have a puke story is there is there something fascinating or funny that happened involving puke whether it's yourself or friend a memory that stands out involving puke um let's see 
Let me think. Mm. Not off the, the dome. Uh, um, let me think here. I feel like I should. Maybe on this podcast, you know, one of us will peak by the end of it and then maybe we can tell the story on another one, round two. I think uh, the only one I could think of is one time this girl drove me home from a party. We were both drinking. Or, well, she wasn't drinking. I, I was drinking, but uh, we got, she brought me, I, I don't know if we if it was like supposed to be like flirtatious, we're going to hang out and go for this ride, but I just remember waking up in her car outside my house and she like was like all right you're here you can go and there was just like throw up all on the side of her car because i guess i was throwing up outside the window embarrassing not funny again funny in hindsight to look back on funny yeah. to look back on yeah but that's that you know that's that's a good excuse it's like you tell people you know I'm throwing up on your window right now. You don't think this is funny, but it will be in 10 years yeah. when you look back on it. And that's the value I'm bringing to you right now in this moment. It's investment puke for sure. Yeah, exactly. You're, you compound interest of my puke. Right. It gets funnier over time. A hundred percent. I, yeah, that's, that's my, my pretty handsome, awkward puke, just like you bleed story. Perfect. All right, so you you also have another video called Turtle in the Sink that you put out when you were in NYU film school and it involves a lady who smokes crack. For you, what is your drug of choice? Um, just weed. Oh, perfect. Just weed. Uh, does, does it help you creatively? Do you do you smoke before you try to come up with ideas? How has how your uh, yes. relationship with weed evolved throughout the years? Um, it doesn't help me be creative, It, but it does help me uh, be okay with being bored or putting myself in a situation where normally I would be bored. So like when I have to practice piano and I don't really feel like practicing, if I smoke, I'll, I'll enjoy practicing much more. Um, so it lets you enjoy a monotonous task yeah. sober. You can kind of get more into it right. when you smoke. Okay. So that's kind of, yeah, it doesn't help me be creative or funny. It does help me be okay with doing, yeah, monotonous work. I, like I'll go to the gym even and, you know, the gym sucks, but gym, you know, doing nothing sucks. Doing nothing high is great. Going to the gym sucks. Going to the gym high is great. So, and it's not for everybody. I mean, some people cannot use it that way um but for me i can so yeah how so how do you de-escalate panic attacks when you're high assuming you have any you may you may no i get not get you you get them so so for me i'm i'm someone that i've tried smoking alone during the during quarantine I, i live by myself like it's it's just not for me. I feel like I need to be around friends when I get high or else I go into sometimes a state of panic. That may be on me for smoking too much as well or may just not being careful with the shit that I'm getting. But like for you, when you're in the midst of a panic attack high, what helps you to deescalate it back to a state where you're actually enjoying it? Um... Um, 
playing piano sometimes will get me there or playing guitar like it'll kind of help me get my mind because you just got to basically stop thinking about the panic you know mm. feel your feet on the floor kind of thing um but also i've heard this and it has worked i don't know if it's placebo but i'm gonna pretend it's not because then it'll stop working is uh pepper they say to smell pepper like ground pepper uh you know salt pepper not like a not like a pepper pepper but like you know yeah ground pepper. like smell smell uh uh, big old whiff, big inhale. Just take a sniff of a pepper shaker. Not a sniff, like a uh, an inhale, just, like you, yeah, like a like you a line of pepper. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, it does help. Again, don't know if it's placebo, but it does help. It really because I, they say okay. it like it's a. I've heard that it like something about pepper. It's like a the ke- the chemical in it is combat. Like it kind of just like does something that it reverses this effect of weed or but then somebody else told me no it's not just for weed at panic attacks it's for panic attacks in general so i don't know Mm -hmm. either way big old whiff of pepper okay so we mentioned uh john lennon before john lennon's killer supposedly one of his motivations for killing him was to acquire john lennon's fame so naturally that leads to the question, if you could make any celebrity go away and by proxy acquire all the positive and negative aspects that went with their fame, who would it be? Hmm. Damn. It almost feels selfish. I don't want to make them go away. I'm like, oh, I don't want to. If you could, if you could put them on hold, let's say they wouldn't go away permanently, but you could just like for a year, you could. Uh, put how about them on this? Hold. I'm going to go into my own timeline where they're gone. They get to live in their own timeline still, but it's a yes, new you timeline. Could, you could, you could create. It's a multiverse, so you could create another reality where you take on this person's fame, all the good and bad that comes with it, and they are also able to live out their own trajectory. So you're not taking away from them in any aspect hmm. maybe uh well there's a okay so like it depends right like do i have to be able to fill their shoes now like is it just me but in their their image because like if i you, choose you post- could do you could you could do whatever you want with it you don't necessarily like you'll you'll take on their fame you can choose to continue the things that led to their fame but you'll have to deal with all the things that went with this. So like to the extent that they're mm. recognized, you'll be recognized. Uh, what are the, so money, the, the skills, the talent. Yeah. So if I choose post Malone, do I have to start singing, you know, congratulations at concerts and will I be able to sing as well as him? Are people going to be like, why does he sound way different? You'll, you'll, you'll be post Malone to other people you'll, you'll okay. like okay. T- you'll you'll embody the the effigy okay. of post Malone interesting interesting but you could choose to take his voice and style in a different direction you don't have to do the same shit but you'll look and you'll sound like post Malone you'll have his skills and his talent and his money um maybe post Malone maybe Cody Co. I know that's a drastic difference, but I feel like I could. Uh, yeah, well, there not many a, people know they're actually the same person. Cody yeah, Coe no. is back, yeah, 
Well, my they, thoughts there is like not many people know who Cody Co is, and a lot of people do. So I can kind of like I get the best of both worlds. Whereas if I'm post Malone, it's like, why are you making YouTube videos now? It's like, um, well, I don't know. I wanted to do both. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like post Malone would be good because he's he. So I remember when he went on Joe Rogan, one of the best moments on that podcast where he's just like, I'm really good at singing at autotune. And that's basically how I make my money. I don't remember the exact quote, but he knows exactly what his bread and butter is. And that allows him to go on these tangents where he can sing a country song or whatever. Like he, he became famous in one realm and now he's able to do kind of whatever he wants. And so if you took on Post Malone now, you could probably go into another area. You could become a YouTuber. You could make your own music. You could you could do something interesting with the platform he's built for sure. Right. And like uh yeah, like that and just money, the bag is is there and there, there's a, there's a whole lot of perks to be had, and not not a whole lot of cons. And if I get to just be me, well, I'm it's like basically I can do whatever I want. The only cons being like, oh, play the stuff you didn't make, but they don't know that I didn't make it, and so I'm like, yeah, oh, they I'm don't fine. know. But uh, but again, that's like it's like when people give me a TikTok idea, it happens all the time. They're like, oh, this would be a funny idea. It's like okay, well, even if it's the greatest idea in the world. I'm not going to make it because I didn't think of it. Yeah. And, uh, there's there's no excitement in making something that does well. Yeah, you don't you don't feel the drive to make it like if you cultivated that idea for yourself. Yeah, people will be like, "Oh, great job. That was funny." It's like, "How'd you think of that?" It's like, "Uh, well, I didn't." It's like, "That that's going to yeah. crush me." So, that's the only con of being post Malone. Yeah. Well, I I th- I think you could get through it. I th- I think you'd be able oh, to yeah the persona pretty well i could numb it for sure so uh something i wanted to end off on is uh you you rolled a joint for shia labeouf how did how did that happen what what was the story behind you meeting shia labeouf and that you know that 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 whole uh situation sure um basically I um, heard that he was doing some uh, like protest of some kind in Queens and it was live streamed and he'd be there all day. And so it was like an hour or a 45 minute train ride from my dorm. And I went on the live stream and sure enough, he was there in front of the webcam pretty much alone. I was like, all right, I'm going to go meet Shia LaBeouf then. Went. It was like a few other people there when I got there and we're just all dancing in front of the camera saying he will not divide us. He will doing this stuff. And he takes a break and I, I got to go talk to him. Somebody delivered pizza to the to the webcam that they were it was like from London. They were watching and somehow called the Brooklyn shop and our Queens pizza shop and had to go get delivered to us. So I gave the pizza to him, ended it there, went home, told my friends. I was like, guys, we got to go back. He's still there. Like the next day. And so the next day we, I rolled a joint. My friend had like mushrooms and we went there and it kind of, there was like a big crowd this time, but like the cops came 
And they thought, they ran up to me and patted me down. They walked around and I'm like confused. I'm like, why did they, like, I, did they know I have drugs? Which they didn't, they didn't find it. Came back, patted me down again, then walked over to their cars. And like, so I you went had up to mushrooms them. on you when the cops were patting you down. They didn't, they didn't find yeah. anything. And I was like, okay. Like, so I went up to them, asked them. What, what was that? that what was, was the it. actual protest for? Uh, it was like Trump's inauguration. Um, and it was weird. Cause like there was a lot of Trump people that would come and be pissed or, 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 and I got a ton of hate online. Cause I said my Instagram into the webcam and it was just people saying the craziest shit to me. Um, but what was the type I, of shit they were saying? Just like words. I can't say that they would call me. And like, it doesn't even make sense when you think about like the worst word I could say right now, they would say to me and and then they'd find my mom's Instagram and say, you're a whore, like your son is gay. And they were calling you Jake Paul. Essentially. Yeah. Like yeah. how they treat Jake Paul is what they were saying to me. Yeah. And, you know, I'd argue that it's not a Trump protest. Like if you believe that Trump's a good president, then you could say he will not divide us and believe it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't really, it's not like it says he sucks. It says he won't divide us. So I could stand there and believe in Trump and not that I don't, but I'm just saying like you could. So it's like, don't shit on me. But anyway, that shit aside. Um, so anyway, so they, it turns out one of those people that were pissed at Child of Buff, or, or maybe not, maybe just thought it'd be funny, called Queens like they did with the pizza mm-hmm. and said that a guy in a red hat has a firearm at this event. And the only person there that had a red hat was him when they called. And then I showed up in a red hat and the police showed up right when I showed up. And then they realized afterwards, like, oh, it must have been a prank to get Shia LaBeouf arrested. And so I ended up taking a photo with Shia, Shia LaBeouf. And uh, he was super nice. He was like, oh, they thought you were me. I was like, yeah, it was crazy. And then I told him, like, hey, I rolled a J for this occasion. Do you want to smoke? And he was like, oh, maybe, maybe when the cops leave, for sure, I'm on probation, but we should wait. And I was ready to do it. But... Then I said my Instagram handle and all that stuff into the webcam, started getting tons of hate. It was really scary. And so I just left. I was like, fuck this. I need to go home. But I almost did. I didn't smoke with him, but I almost did. Mm-hmm. He said we could. Uh, I, and that's crazy that you were there in a small gathering with Shia LaBeouf because he's like, you know, he, he's he's done some big shit and to imagine him there saying he we uh he will not divide us and being in front of the camera, that that's that's uh it's it's like you you were with him in a intimate setting. So that that's uh pretty cool, pretty revealing. Yeah, well it was sick. It was again, you know, he's just a guy and that was cool to see. Yeah. So he I mean, he also he he's I've I've heard him freestyle on Sway in the Morning. He does, you know, he's he's movie star, does videos. He's uh, he was pretty good on that freestyle. Yes, five the five fingers of death on Sway in the Morning. He was very, yeah, he was really good. Yeah, so you know maybe uh, Shia LaBeouf would also be a good person to you know make disappear and you take them over and that is go true to the ether. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to I'd have to consider more. I think I'd really have to do some research and figure out who I would take over in this mm-hmm. timeline. So to, uh, to end off, what, uh, 
what advice would you have to younger? I mean, we're both young. I'm 27. I imagine you're in your early mid twenties. So, so any content creator who's starting out, what advice would you have to someone who's trying to make cool shit pop in the space of TikTok, YouTube, wherever it is? Yeah. Um, TikTok and YouTube shorts are, are a great way to get organic growth. Uh, it'll show your video to people. If it does well with them, it'll show it to more people. So that's your platform. And in terms of, you know, I can only speak for me. What works for me is I make videos that make me laugh or I think are fun and what I want to make. I don't try and um, hack the system or... I mean, sometimes I do. It's fun. It's fun to be clever and try and trick people into giving you views. But that makes me laugh. Uh, you know, I don't sit down yeah. and say, like, how do I go viral? How do I go viral? It's like, well, that's not. People don't want to watch you try and go viral unless you're like, you know, anybody could just punch themselves in the face and go viral. Like. Try and be clever and methodical and make something entertaining, make something people want to watch, like be interesting. That's that's what I'll say. Is this interesting? Um, and if you could say that about your, if you could say that about your video, then you should be, you're moving in the right direction. All right. Well, thank you, Sean. I, I appreciate your time and I know a lot of people will, uh, gain value from your words. So thanks Thanks. again. I hope so. I, damn, that's a lot, uh, a lot of praise, but We'll see. I hope. I yeah, hope that's no, true. no, for sure. I mean, we talked. To, we talked about uh, a lot of stuff, a, a wide variety of topics, and you know, you have experience gaining credit in the things that we've talked about, and and your words are valuable. Your experience is valuable. So well, thanks thank again. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening to another episode. You can go to auxoro.supercast.tech today to gain access to two bonus episodes per month of the Aux podcast on topics like Bruce Lee, COVID lab leak, Bitcoin, and more. You'll also get full video versions of the Auxoro podcast available nowhere else. Go to auxoro.supercast.tech today to become a premium subscriber. See you next time.